We are starting Parshas, we are starting both Parshas Vayikra and Chumash Vayikra. Okay, so what a page, Shani, do we have a page number? 545. 545. When I grow up, my next life, in my next life, I'm going to be South African and have a cool accent instead of being from Brooklyn. Um, okay, so. I'm going to be British. Um, Which one, like a chad? You I have no idea. Posture. I'm from London. I can speak with an accent. She's the London version. Yeah, that's what we want. We want the Pasha version. Not me. Yeah, because she's got English. Okay. Hmm. Okay, ladies, we ready to get started? Yeah. Okay. So we're in the good books, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's sourced I, someplace in the Talmud. I don't know exactly where it is, so I just give it the good books. I mean, you know, when I make things up, I tell you how to make things up. Oh, sorry, did not know that. Okay, sorry, not in the good books. In the Talmud, um, we call this book Chomish by Yikra, and it's actually not called that in the the Chumashim, as we know them are not called by those same they're not called by those same names in the Gemara and other early sources early early Jewish sources just to confirm that uh that one um and it's in the Chumash Vayikra is called Tyrus Kaihanim now if you were to look at all the Torah Kohanim the Torah of the priests okay now, if the you, book the whole Russia? book, no, Chumash Vayikra, we call it Leviticus, it's in English, Vayikra in Hebrew, in the Talmud, it's called Torah Kohanim, the book of the Torah for the priests. Now, in, in the earlier days, like, this has become the more common name for the book, but in the earlier sources, that's what it's called, it's called Torah Kohanim, question. Okay. We never did this? No, I never heard of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, I would remember this. Okay, fine. So we're gonna, uh, I think we can turn off the heater about now. I'm, I just stood up and got like a wave of heat. So I'm sorry about that. Okay, so we have like this. Bereshit. We never did it, I can't believe it. Okay, Bereshit, which means, what does Bereshit mean? In the beginning, right? In, uh, what's his English name? Genesis. Genesis. And oh, we don't have another marker. So here we are. Genesis. No, yellow's not going to work. We're not going to be able to see it at all. Okay. And it's also called. Stick with me. Sefer HaYashar. The book, the book of the upright. The Yashar, right? Direction, straight, straight, straight. But HaYashar is this image standing straight. Voracious, which in English is called Genesis. It's not called the beginning book. Genesis is the, in English, what does it mean as a word? It means the foundational beginning of something. So Sefer Hayashar actually matches Genesis much better than Bereshit. Because it talks about all those people who walked upright with God, the Adam and Chava and Noah and Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov. It talks about our beginnings, okay? The book of Shemot, which we know means, what does it mean? What is the Shem? Shem, name. So Shemot is a book of names, okay? But in English, it's called Exodus. And in the Gemara, it's called Sefer Hageula, the book of redemption. Are we seeing a pattern over here? Are we seeing a pattern over here? Yeah, we definitely, I don't think we did it this year, but we definitely, I definitely know it before. Okay, now here we are. We are here. Flemish Vayikra. What does Vayikra mean? And he called, and he called, va, and he called, and he called, and what do we call it in English? Leviticus. 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 I may or may not be spelling it correct. Um, and, in, and in the Gemara, what do we say it's called? It's called Torah Kohanim. Okay. Leviticus. Is, is Latin for belonging to the priests, which again is matching our Gemara name for the Chumash better than our regular name. Um, then we have Bamidbar, 
which means what is it in the desert? But what's it called? Is it Kohanim or Kohanim? Kohanim. Oh, it's okay. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. Kohanim. I'm so glad that you were able to even read any of my scribble over here. Okay, Bamidbar. What's it called in English? Numbers. Numbers. And in in the Gemara, it's called Sefer Hapikudim. Which means the book of counting, right? The book of counting. So that numbers, whoever, what am I showing you is that whoever did our translation did a really had a lot of information. They weren't just working with the text. And the last book that we have is the book of Devarim, which is called, De Deuteronomy. what's it? Yeah, Devarim. Okay, I'm just adding more letters, random. It's the book of Deuteronomy, which I for sure cannot spell correctly. I'm telling you now. Uh, it's off. I don't know. Is it D E A? D E U. Okay. What's it? D E U T what? E R. Oh, oh, I would not have gotten that. Yeah, yeah, the end I got. Deuteronomy. Okay. And in the Gemara, it's called Mishnah Torah. Mishnah from the word. What do you see in the Hebrew? What do you see? Root, Mishnah. Can't really write that. Mishnah Torah means the repetition of the Torah, and Deuteronomy means that. It's duo, right? We know uh, it has the root of two. So Deuteronomy is the repetition of the Torah. In the Gemara, it's called the Mishnah Torah, the repetition of the Torah. That paper have to Yes. Okay. Yeah, you know, whatever. Now these books, these books, one, two, four, and five, all have very distinct time frames. Just to add, just to finish this up, the book of Bereshit starts from creation and it goes until I think about two, about twenty-two hundred approximately. Okay. The book of Shemos, the book of Exodus, covers the Jews coming down into Egypt till their, till their exodus from Egypt. So it's going to go from, again, about 200. Somebody who wants to crack the math to do it better than me. It goes from about 2200 to 2448. That's the year the Jews leave Egypt. Biblical years we're talking about. Um, Vayikra has no time frame. Bamidbar is going to talk about the time in the desert. So it's going to go from 2448 to 2448. 2488. It's going to cover about 40 years. And when we come to Bamidbar, we're going to talk about the fact that it doesn't actually cover 40 years. It covers about two and a half years because it really could be Rukhmarga's subtitle for it is Jews in Transition. That's the book of Bamidbar. It talks about us moving out of slavery and into being people for God and then being desert dwellers into going into Eretz Yisrael. So in those two ends of the 40 years, which is about two and a half years, we have a lot of strife. We have a lot of upheaval. And the time in the middle, we hear nothing. We heard nothing about the Jews, the Jews's, Jews, the Jews, the Jews apostrophe. Jews apostrophe, right? We don't hear anything about the Jews apostrophe life in the desert. Very little. We don't know what their daily schedule is like. We don't know anything. And now Mishnah Torah is said, it's Moshe's, la I have to say Moshe because I don't have to say Moses's. Moshe's last um, swan song to the Jewish people. He starts speaking on Rosh Chodesh Adar. Rosh Chodesh Adar in the, no, sorry, Rosh Chodesh Shvat. I'm sorry, Rosh Chodesh Shvat in the year 2488. And he keeps talking until the day of the passing, which is the seventh of Adar of the same year. But this book covers 37 days. So if you take a look, as history is coming much more particular to the Jewish people, it's slowing down and getting much more, um, much more focused on them. Notice that Vayikra doesn't have a timeline, but what Vayikra does have is this spine. What supports the stories on this side and the stories on that side? The, the laws in the middle. Vayikra is, as a book, has the most laws for the Jewish people. Um, and really that is what bolsters up our whole stories on this side and stories on that side is the place can we stand tall and strong with God and that's we do that with mitzvahs not only with stories even though we do learn from stories but we very much do it from mitzvot so here we are question the seventh of Adar yeah the seventh of Adar 
So here we are, we're at Chumash Vayikra. Chumash Vayikra, as I said, does not have a time frame. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of laws that Moshe is going to give. Now, if you zoom out for a second, first of all, Chumash Vayikra is one of those books that strikes, strikes fear in the heart of the learner because it's so, there are so many laws in there and there's very, very, very little story. Um, there's a couple of stories sprinkled through, but by and large, it is just laws and laws and laws and laws and laws. And so for those of us who like the story part of Torah, the laws part of Torah is a little bit, you know, we need to brace ourselves for this. But what's interesting is that the, that, is that the Medrash says, call, we, we, call, we talk about this book and it is referred to as the book, like we said, it's called Tart Kahanim, but it's also, they say that Yavo Tahorim V'yasku V'tahara, that those who are pure should come and learn and deal with Tahara, with purity. And really it's been like one of those Jewish customs for hundreds and thousands of years is that children who start to learn Chumash, who are called Tehorim, the pure ones who've never sinned, the first thing that they learn when they start, start learning is Chumash Vayikra. Now they don't go through the whole Chumash. Most of them will learn a few verses to kind of connect, make that connection between pure children learning and the purity of Torah. If you zoom out to Chumash Vayikra as a whole, you're going to see that it's going to cover purity in all strata. So the first thing that we're going to talk about, the first two, mainly the first two Torah portions, a little bit afterwards, talks about sacrifices, which we're going to get into because it's a very weird conversation. We're going to talk about, so it starts with sacrifices, which is the purification, the connection. We're going to get to, we'll get to sacrifice in a second. After that, we're going to talk about purity within animal, within the animal kingdom, we're going to have a long, long, long list of those things that we can eat and those things that we cannot eat. Most of Parsha Shemini is going to deal with the laws of kosher and the list of what animals are and aren't. And then after that, we're going to talk about purity within the human being, different types of forms of spiritual impurity that come, uh, that come on a person, male and female, and how we deal with that. And again, like I said, there's a couple of stories sprinkled in between. I want to say one thing about purity because we were talking yesterday about Christian influences or whatever. Um, you say impure and you feel it, it, the connotation or the subtext says dirty, bad, no good. In Judaism, purity and impurity means accessible to holiness or not accessible to holiness. Can I come in a, in a, in a world that was very temple centric? Could I come to the temple? That was a question of purity. There was no judgment call if somebody was in a state of impurity. Um, there was no obligation to live in a state of purity unless you were in fact a Kohen, because then you had to, all the things that a Kohen ate had to be done, well, the gifts that he got uh, had to be done in a state of purity. Um, but, th but this notion of purity or impurity as a, a judgment call, I feel is a very Christian influence that we have. So I want to put out that we have a whole book talking about purity and impurity. It is not a judgment call. It's a question of accessibility to holiness or not accessibility to holiness. And again, one of these, we were just, we we're just coming up to Pesach and we were talking about, we had Parshas Par and all those things. People in temple times did not walk around. Most of the people did not walk around all day in a state of purity. They were farmers in the Galilee or wherever they were. I made that up. And wherever they were, and they had no need to come to Jerusalem. They had no access or no need to come to the temple. It didn't matter if they came in contact with the dead or any other form of impurity. They could, when it was time for Pesach and everybody had to come and bring the, the, the Passover sacrifice, that's when we start reminding people, Para, you need to become pure. You need to be able to be accessible to holiness because if not, you can't come to the temple. It, it, there were, of course, in Judaism, not everybody does everything the same way. And there were always people who were much more careful about their state of personal purity and where they ate and what they ate. They only, they tried to stay as much as possible only in that realm of um, accessible to holiness, but there was no actual injunction to do that, as, as I said, except for Kohanim, because Kohanim, no matter where they lived, were eating holy stuff. If I, who was not a Kohen, would bring my challah, right? The little challah that we burn is just a, mem a memory of the challah that was given to the Kohen when we, when we gave challah, um, they had to eat that challah in a state of purity. So they couldn't, you know, unless they said, like, sorry, I can't take your challah today. Like they, their lives very, very much revolved around them staying in a state of, of tahara, as we call it in Hebrew, which is accessibility to- Morning, never 
They the reverse, I would say. They had an injunction to stay tahor, to stay pure. Does that mean they were constantly going to Mikvah? Yes, yes. One of the things, how do they know archaeological? I don't know. I'm not a Kohen. I'm not married to a Kohen. I don't know the laws. It's not so practically applicable in our life today, but we know, we know the fact that Kohanim's family, Kohanim's homes very often had a mikvah. That means this was something that they were doing on a daily basis. Now we know today mikvah going for men is not, does not have halachic significance. Um, uh, so it's, it's more custom that's happening but then they used to actually make a bracha and they it had halachic significance. Could, uh, no, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the glare. Got the angle? Got the angle? Don't judge my spelling, I could be wrong. Okay, now with that, by Way of introduction, can we get into our parsha for a little bit? Okay, let's open. Thank you. Okay, so here we are. I want everybody to look into your homage because this beginning is going to be very, very important because the majority of the parsha is going to talk about sacrifices, and I do want to talk about sacrifices. But before, huh? Does anybody know? Oh, we're going to talk about sacrifices, but I want to try to keep this in some sort of order of what's going on. But the first thing that you can't possibly miss, unless they didn't print it that way in your homage, is that the word vayikra. Take a look at your word Vayikra. What do you see? What, what, what do you see on the actual word in Hebrew? In Hebrew. Okay. On top of the Aleph. What else are you going to notice about the Aleph? It's very small. Okay. Vayikra, is Vayikra in the Chumash. And that little tiny Aleph is not just a typo in all of our Chumash, in all of our Chumashim. It is, in fact, the way it is written. And um, and we're going to talk about that for a second. Now, what is the difference between if we had the Aleph or we didn't have the Aleph? What is the difference between Vayikra and Vayaker? Because if you take off the Aleph, you would have Vayaker. Okay, Vayikra is a, it's a it's it's a, it's an expression of love and it's an expression of connection. I called you here. It's really not I. Hashem calls to Moshe, and the connotation is um, the connotation is one of love and connection. When Hashem speaks to Bilam, who's the most famous non-Jewish prophet, the expression that he uses is vayaker, that he appears to him. And the, to me, the, the easiest way to differentiate this is vayikra is when I have something to say to you and I call you on the phone. Anybody remember calling on a phone, not just texting people? I call you on the phone and I say something that I was thinking about you. I have something nice to say, even another question, but I called you on the phone and I spoke to you. That's vayikra. Vayaker is when I bump into somebody in the show, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I saw you. I have something to tell you. That is not the same relationship. Because Hashem said what, so, so Hashem, when Hashem spoke to Bilam, he used the expression Vayaker. It's as if we just bumped into each other and I'm going to give you a message. It doesn't show any kind of special love. And the sages tell us that when Moshe, when Hashem is dictating to Moshe and he says, write Vayikra el Moshe, that Hashem calls to Moshe, Moshe in his humility, was was taken aback by that, that that term of endearment, and so he writes a small olive. Remember, we talked about I don't know if we talked about it here when Moshe comes down from the mountain and his face is shining. I don't know if we talked about it here in class, but a little bit we spoke about it. His face, huh? The light. Yeah, the light. So the so the so the sages say, where did that light come from? And they say it's the the rest of the ink of the olive that Moshe wrote small. That he sort of kind of like, you know, if you absentmindedly, you know, rub your head or something, you've got some of that spiritual ink on his forehead, and that gives him a, a spiritual glow. And there's Shem says, you can't take away this relationship. You can't take away the Vayikra relationship that I have with you. You're you're in your humility, you're uncomfortable with that. Give me a small olive. But the, but the Torah wants to very, very clearly state that the relationship between Hashem and Moshe is one of Vayikra. And the other thing that I want to add is that Vayikra is written in singular form. And really, 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 this book, we're opening up a new book. And the book is Hashem reaching out to each and every one of us. 
and saying to us personally and individually, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be connected to you. I want to, you and me, let's go on a date. Let's get some coffee. Let's hang out. Let's spend time together. And the, the word that is used is Vayikra. We have this, Hashem says to each and every one of us, I have these things that I like. I have these things that I don't like. I want to have a relationship with you. Could you please be part of that? So the Vayikra is not only a lesson to Moshe, but I think it's a, a special calling out to each and every one of us. Hashem wants to be connected to us. Hashem wants to have a relationship with us. He vayikras us. I don't know if that's a real word, but uh, now it is, right? But now it is. So the first thing we have to say is that this whole book that we're opening up is opening up with Hashem calling out and speaking to us and saying, I want to have a relationship with you. And there are things that I like that you don't understand. And there are things that you, I don't like that you don't understand. You know, could you do it? Could you please, you know, just get that, you know, we know, and it's, it's so true when you're in a relationship with somebody, you don't understand what I do like that flavor of ice cream, what I don't like that kind of, you know, because you think it's just amazing, but you're willing to humor them because you're in a relationship with them. And that's what Hashem is really saying to each and every one of us, not just you and me, but be involved in this relationship on the terms that are good for me, not just on the terms that are good for you. And that's really where Vayek is going to be opening up. Okay, and um, and what are they going to talk about? He's going to talk about Pasuk Beis says, "Speak to the Jewish people and say to them, Adam kiyakriv mikem carbon Hashem, a person from amongst you who brings a sacrifice to Hashem, whether it's from the behema, from the bigger animals, from the buckers, domesticated animals, whether it's from sheep. I'm not a farmer, so all of these kind of blend together. We don't have, you know, all different kinds of things that we could talk about. And then it's going to go and we'll discuss every single one." Of the, of the sacrifices. But I do want to point out one thing before we get into the actual sacrifices, that the, the Hasidus points out that, um, that the wording in verse two is weird, right? Juliana, if you were gonna uh, spell check, not spell check, if you were gonna grammar check it, how would you speak to, the to, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, what does it say in English? Okay, so the actual Hebrew says that doesn't say when a man, it says when a person, uh, it says a person who wants to bring from you an animal, right? They already fixed up the ground over there. So the so Hebrew, we should see it was like, it's like saying, and then colon, like colon, colon, colon. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit awkward, it, it, right? So one of the things, exactly. It, it, could we switch those words around? Could we say that when a person wants to bring, when a person from amongst you wants to bring, that's how they translate it. When a person from amongst you wants to bring sacrifice, what they're actually, what the Hebrew actually says is when a person wants to bring a sacrifice from amongst you. Who was just saying about, you know, throw grandma off a train or something? You know, like the, the grabber, all those, those uh, grammar geek jokes. Um, uh, and, and what, and what Hasidus highlights to us is, that in this whole conversation of sacrifices, the first thing that we have to actually know is that it has to be me, Ken. It has to be something from amongst me, from within me that I'm giving to Hashem. It's not just, I have a sin and I wanna get atonement, I'm gonna take some animal and I'm gonna slaughter the animal and I'm gonna walk away scot-free. The first question, me, Ken, is this coming from me? within me am i identifying i see this am i part of this and but within you know we've all learned am i able to sacrifice some of the things that my animal says i have to do i must do i always do it can i say I could do it differently. And that's really phraseology because it's not really awkward in English. It's not just take an animal to the, to the, to the temple and, and you're done. No, no, it's, 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 it's soul searching. It's a real coming together of many, many, many worlds. Um, and we're gonna get to that in a second. So the first sacrifice we talk about is what's called an Ola sacrifice. Um, it's an animal. It starts off, there, there are different options of how what, the animal that we could bring. We could bring a large animal, we could bring small animals. You could actually even bring birds or flower if you don't have, if you don't have, um, if you don't have enough money to buy a cow. No fish, right? No, we don't bring fish. But you could bring, you could bring. Uh, they have 
pigeons or doves are the birds that they had brought us they, that are that are uh, um, that were commonly brought as as uh, sacrifices. And if that was too much for you, then you could bring a meal offering, which is all different kinds of fine flour. There were many, many different ways of preparing it, depending on the sacrifice that you're bringing. All those were up for grabs. Question. When you say pigeon, I'm assuming not the ones, not the ones. Just grab one off the street. That has to go like. No, no, you can't ever. You can't. Okay, you can't ever do a mitzvah with something stolen. You can't. The price. The principle is you can't do a mitzvah through an avera. So. Who did that's a question, you know. Like I was I was walking with my husband once we were in Gan Soccer and they have rosemary plants there, and we were having a conversation. Could you pick the rosemary in Gan Soccer and use it? So then we got the whole conversation. Like if we were in the botanical gardens, this was our this was not halachic, this is just our like you know, the the the, the Gan Soccer seems to be like a park for everybody. You want to take some rosemary, you're not gonna uproot the whole plant, you're gonna take a little bit, it's not gonna really harm anything. But if you were in the botanical gardens. You couldn't do that, even if you're going to say it's a massive rosemary plant. Then what's a little sprig going to do? They're not going to even know it's something that that's considered stealing. You're not allowed to take it. Right. So, so right. That's what we're saying. So, gan soccer, it feels like it's hefker. It's ownerless, and then you can take it. The question of buying, you know, first of all, I don't know that pitches were such a nuisance or available like they are. Are well, they used to be. They were like originally domesticated for use, and then it wasn't until really Doing that, right? Like, no, they're like, people eat pigeons, they're like wrapped with wings. Like, we, 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 yeah, yeah, we, they, right. They have, they brought them as sacrifices. They brought them as sacrifices. Yes, I don't know which ones. I'm sure there are pigeons that are kosher, pigeons that aren't kosher, and a lot of things that have to do with birds have to do with tradition. Um, because they don't actually have signs, they don't have fish, they don't have fins and scales, they don't have split hooves and chewing their cud, so they go by, they go by signs. Um, so I would I would not know to say that pigeon is kosher and that pigeon is not kosher. I don't even know if there are differences in pigeons. Like I said, this is not my forte at all. With your discussion about the gun soccer thing, idea is what's technically owned by the city. I'm assuming the city is not Right, because we pay taxes. We pay taxes. It's kind of ours. Correct. So that was that. That was our that was our sort of end conversation. We felt like from gun soccer we could take. You, you obviously can't take off a whole plant or whatever, but like within normal use, taking a little bit of rosemary wouldn't be, uh, we, di we, didn't, we didn't think it would be out of the question. That was kind of where we, we sat with that one. Um, huh? We didn't, no, no, we didn't, just because it, it was more of an academic conversation than a practical, than, than a practical, oh, should we take it or not? It was just sort of like, oh, because you know, there are very few plants that I can actually identify. Rosemary happens to be one of them. So that's how the whole conversation, that's how the whole conversation came. Cause I got, oh, there's Rosemary in the park. Could we take, that's kind of how that conversation developed. Okay, so I wanna say a couple of things about the carbonis that we have over here. Um, so first of all, it, it, there were different kinds of sacrifices. The, the oldest sacrifice we talk about first is one that is wholly burnt a W-H-O-L-L-Y. It is completely burnt to Hashem. Um, people would bring it for different kinds of, uh, for different different kinds of uh, different things. You could bring it for, if you did some, if there's there's also something called a carbon chattis, which we're going to hear later on, which is a sin offering, but you could also bring an olaf for a, uh, you could also bring it as a, as a sin situation, but also as a, a gift to Hashem. Um, and uh, sin offerings in general, you can only bring a sin offering for a sin that you did inadvertently, which is a nice word of saying by mistake. Um, it's a, a sin that's done inadvertently that had you done it intentionally would have the punishment of karet, which means being killed by Hashem, dying before your time. Um, so such a sacrifice could be, uh, such, such a sin that you did, you could, uh, do you could do you could do uh, you you could bring a sacrifice? So it's interesting. The Talmud says, like, what kind of what does it mean? I did a sin by mistake. Like, what does that even mean? So they give the example of there being two. Okay, we our diets don't really lend ourselves this way, but the Talmud tells us that what if there you were in a in a room and there were two pieces of fat on the table and you ate one of them. Now we don't usually eat straight fat, but 
you ate one of them. And later on, you found out that one of those pieces of fat came from what's called chaylev. There are parts of the fat that were offered as sacrifices and therefore you're not allowed to eat them. Even today, there are certain parts of the fat that you're not allowed to eat. The other one was shuman. It was regular fat that you're allowed to eat, but you don't know what you ate. Two identical pieces of fat. You ate, you know, so that's that if you, that's actually, it's actually, it's actually a different, we'll get to that in a second. I made a mistake. The, the, the Tom does get that example, but they don't give it for carbon, for a sin that you did inadvertently. They actually do it for a sacrifice that you bring. There's, there's something called a, a sacrifice. It's a, it's for, it's like a, on a sliding scale kind of thing. If you knew you did the sin, you bring one kind of sacrifice. If you're not sure you did the sin, and that's the example they give of how you're, how you're not sure if you did a sin. Did I eat chalev or did I eat shuman? Did I eat something that's forbidden or something that's prohibited? Something that's permitted, that sacrifice is actually has to be worth much more than a sin offering. Because a sin offering, by the time you get to the sin offering, you know that you made a mistake. You're ready to, to fess up and, 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 and repair. And you've done the internal work. And therefore, the sacrifice is like the end of that conversation. The, the I don't know, it's called Olivier, I don't know if I did a sin or not. It has to be more expensive to remind you of your proximity to sin is not as far as you, it's not as, you're not as far away from sin as you thought you were. Because if you're not sure that you really did something, like why should I atone for something I didn't actually do? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, I don't know. It could be, it can't be. And so really, the example that, that the Talmud gives of fat is to remind us that where is our passion? Where is our excitement? Which is what fat is represented by. Um, uh, where is that lying? And are we so far away from sin as we thought we were? And if you were, if you were possibly capable of sin, then you're not as far away as you thought. There are certain, we all know in our lives, there are certain things we just don't do. Even in the middle of your sleep, you just don't do them even when like, we're really quite not conscious of the whole situation. And there are certain things like, we could. I ever tell you about this, this, what, this girl I saw once, I, years ago, was at an amusement park and they did a hypnotist situation. Don't tell me it's baloney. I know it might or might not be, but I'm going to be a believer over here because it actually, it sat, it, 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 it's, such, it made, it's such an indelible memory. I, I must've been 12 years old when I saw this. And the hypnotist does his thing with the girl and you're sleeping, da, da, da. And he says, okay, you're in a car. And she gets into the car. He says, put your key into the, you know, put your key into the thing, start the motor. And before she started the motor, she reached up and clicked her seatbelt. And I was like, wow, right? That wasn't part of this. Like, it was so ingrained that I am not starting the car if my seatbelt isn't on. Even okay, we're gonna say she really was hypnotized. Don't give me that skeptical look over there. No, I, I <laughs> so, but but that place of some, there are certain things we just are not gonna do, and then there are certain things that eh, we're not as far away from sin as we think we are. And and to really be a little more careful. You had a question or a comment? Uh, question. Yes. So you told us that with the sacrifices, that part of the process putting your hands on it, like right. visualizing part of it right. as yourself, and that's what makes it so like. Intense. Intense. Yeah. So then, if you're doing the flower, what would the process be like with that? So every single sacrifice that you're going to bring is going to have the same thing. There's a place of the person connecting with the kohen, connecting with whatever the sacrifice is. So that means if it's an animal, you're going to actually put your head on the animal. And what's interesting is, I always thought it was like, like put your head on the animal. It's really not. It's like apply serious pressure to like hold them down. It's not hurting them, but it's like real it's not like it's not like this it's not like this it's like this oh my god it's real pressure yeah yeah it's like in there you're really just like a yeah 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 right yeah yeah no 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 i also did until i i was i actually learned about it like yeah no no that's not what happens it's a it's and it and and the other thing that happens that every single sacrifice has salt which we're going to get to in a second and has salt and often they have wine libations that go along with the sacrifices that we're talking about we mentioned before about this coming together of worlds of the inanimate, the vegetation, the animal, and the human, it's all coming together here in some very, very deep communion with Hashem. And, and that, it's gonna be a really powerful experience. It's not just, oh, it's not a slaughterhouse. It's not just like, whatever, 
gratuitous, gratuitous uh, killing of animals. It's not what it's about at all. It's very, very much is coming together. And the re when you say what happens with a, with a grain offering, so first of all, they're going to do the same, putting their hands on it. The whole, there's, there's going to be some sort of um, handover. And also, there's two different kinds of grain offerings. One is a mincha. There is a carbon mincha that is actually grains. It's, they would, it's really not grains. They take the grain, they either bake it or fry it or deep fry it. It's all versions of matzah that they had in the, in the base of Mikdash. Not like an edible matzah like we sometimes eat, but like deep, they, you know, they, what do they talk about is there's, there's a deep frying pan in the base of Mikdash that was filled with oil and the, the flour water mixture was essentially boiled in oil. So it becomes fluffy-ish, but it's still matzah. I think it may, to, to me, it sounded like a donut, like a big donut, but I don't know, but I'm saying like, I don't know. Um, so there's so, so that you have some that are actually flower offerings. And then you also had offerings that I'm bringing flour because that's all I can, I, that's all I can afford. So when I'm bringing flour because that's all I can afford, I still get the animal part of the pain because I'm also in that pain because this is all I can afford. And what's interesting, Stam, Stam another random temple factoid, is that the high priest brought a carbon mincha, a grain offering twice a day. And that was so that people who were unable to bring an animal and were only bringing grain shouldn't feel bad about their sacrifice. Like, look, even the high priest is bringing grain and they would, they would kind of like, everybody would like join, join in with his so that they wouldn't say, oh, like, this is my little bowl of whatever, you know? Um, so that was, so that was, yeah, yeah. You don't, you, you don't feel, yeah, not to feel bad about what it is that you're, and one of the interesting things that talks about, of course, I didn't mark it in this Chumash, we talk about at the end of the day, it doesn't really, let me see if I find it. It doesn't matter what you bring. The question is, how do you bring it? Uh, I can't find it. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. The, the, the Rashi talks about that, the Ikai HaKavana, the most important thing is my intent. What, what am I thinking? Am I thinking I'm getting away with murder and I'm like, <coughs> sorry, just cutting corners and that's it? Or am I really present when this is happening, when I'm really making this, uh, when I'm bringing this sacrifice, am I really present for that moment and for that experience to be able to, to be able to, um, to be there and to get what's happening and not just like, Da, da, da. So it doesn't matter what it is that we're bringing. You know, we talked about a little bit about bringing the, the donations to the Mishkan, whether they were building the house of God, we bring the tabernacle. Didn't matter what you bring in the, in, the, in, the free, in the free offerings. They weren't saying everybody has to bring gold or everybody has to bring this, but they have to be in the divle. They have to be giving with a generous heart. They have to want to be there. They have to want to, want to be part of it. And then it's actually going to work. Because that's the point. The point is, is heart. And when we talk about our relationship with Hashem, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, it's better. This is my little, little uh, rant for today. But uh, it's definitely sourced in stuff. It's better to do less, but to do it really with your full heart than to do more and say, here's your stinking mitzvah, God. You know? We don't, just like we don't want people to give us a present like this. Hashem doesn't want our mitzvahs like that either. Hashem wants us to be there with our heart and soul. Whatever it is that we're giving, give it nicely, give it beautifully, give it in the best way possible, you know, and, and that's really the point of what we're talking about. We're not only talking about sacrifices. We don't have a temple right now. We're not bringing sacrifices, but the place of in our relationship with Hashem, can we do it beautifully? Can we do it with love? Can we do it with care? Or is it just like a scorecard? Yeah, 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 I did this, I did this, I did this. That, that, then we somehow, we lost something in the conversation over there. Um, another thing that I want to talk about in general about sacrifices is that the Ola we said is an, a sacrifice that was totally burned up on the altar. Um, the other sacrifices had different parts. We have something called the shlamim. It's a called a complete sacrifice part when 
to the to the altar part went to the kohen part went to the uh, to the owner of the animal there were sacrifices were part went on to the altar part went to the kohen there's different kinds of sacrifices but one thing is is across the board true that whatever went up onto the altar of sacrifices the the two components that always were put onto the onto the altar were the blood and the fat okay Blood and fat were always put onto the altar. And when we have this conversation, we talk about enthusiasm. We talk about where blood is our life source. Where, where is, you know, where's my chayas? I don't know how to say that in English. How do you say chayas in English? I don't know. Right? Your enthusiasm, but it's different because chayas and passion are different. Blood and fat are different. No, it's, I don't know. A Google Translate thing? I don't know. Oh, mm, I'm going to vote for an older one. <laughs> I'm going to vote for an older word. If I know it, it's probably an older word. So the, the place of blood is the place of my life force. What, what gets my blood going? What gets me excited? What gets me passionate? But also that place of fat is like, what do I really find pleasure in? Right? I know fat is like probably a very frowned on part of our modern diet but we all know that that's what actually gives a lot of flavor that's what gives you know real and that's the question that we have to ask of the things that really we're passionate about and the things that really like enrich our lives in such a deep way can i give of those to hashem and remember we don't give everything we don't put all the we don't put all the animal we don't put all the blood we don't put all the fat we don't put all of it but is there a place that I can be passionate in my relationship with Hashem? Is there a place that I could find enjoyment in my relationship with Hashem? That's the sacrifice they're asking, that they're asking us. Today, we don't have a temple. We don't have a tabernacle. We aren't, we aren't bringing sacrifices. But in my relationship with Hashem, you know, do the things that make me who I am, they're my blood. I'm so excited about them. Are those things that go into the category, oh, God wouldn't really understand those. Uh, that's, that's a different kind of, you know, like that's for a different, that's for my, the other part of my life. Or do we say, no, the things that I'm passionate about and things that give me life and give me, you know, vitality, those are also part of my relationship with Hashem. So that's my first bracha to all of us, that we identify if we have not yet identified the things in our lives that make it worth getting up in the morning and, and give us excitement. And we look forward to doing them and to being part of them and to be able also to be able to give part of that to Hashem, part of the things that make us so excited to be alive and to be Jewish women in 2021. Can we give part of that to Hashem as well? So that's really my first bracha to all of us. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about is the fact that every single sacrifice had to have salt put on it, okay? There was a lot of salt put on everything. Um, and there's also, I, it's at the end of Shani. I'm, if anybody can help me find it, because I saw it when I was doing, from, or the end of Shlishi, sorry, sorry, yesterday. Oh, I'm too far. The end of Shlishi, the, third, the end of the third Aliyah, I'm pretty sure that's where it was. Oh, here's about the salt. What? Like around No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. I think I might be dead in the second. Only one second. I definitely saw it here. Give me a chapter to verse. Positive verse two thirteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we are. Okay, go read. You found it. You, shall salt you also found it, Jamie. Sorry. Okay, and that. Uh, Any meal offering that you offer to Hashem shall not be prepared leaven, for you shall not cause it to smoke from any leavening or fruit tree as a fire offering to Hashem. Okay, so there's every sacrifice has two, it has a positive and a negative. Within the salt, there's a positive and a negative, but here we have two things. First of all, we're told that you cannot put any kind of leavening agent, no sourdough, uh, on the on this on the altar or honey, any kind of sweetening thing, meaning can't be brought up as a as a sacrifice on the altar. It was brought to the temple. 
because when we brought the first fruits, we brought honey. That was one of the um, date honey was one of the the seven fruits of, of Israel. So we had dates. So it came to the to the temple, but it did not go up onto the it did not it did not go up onto the altar. And the other of putting on salt on every sacrifice and not forgetting to put salt on the sacrifice. So a couple of things. First of all, um, in our lives, if you ever notice that a, a suda, any kind of real proper meal that we have, there's always salt on the table. The reason for that is because our sages tell us that a shulchan domelim is beach, that our table is like a, is like the altar and the food and the, the whole eating experience should be holy and should be elevated and should be special. And so therefore we always have salt, just like every sacrifice has salt, we always have salt on our table. Um, you really should. No, no, specific, well, specifically we talk about a suda where there's bread, where you're washing. We are talking about that. Um, uh, should you have it on a regular lunch? I don't know, I don't know. It's it is it's not a it's not a it's not is that a commandment to is it would it be a nice way maybe to remind us that uh, that our table is an altar and we should you know be careful how we eat and what we eat maybe is it are people going to look at us weird maybe <laughs> in, like, in America for example everywhere you go there's salt and pepper on like, on the tables exactly 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 exactly. Um, or they don't want people to keep asking them for the salt and the pepper. So that's also that's also possible. But yes, definitely the place of our table being a sac- our table being like an altar, and um, and so therefore we we have salt on our table. Um, the other thing, and I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about this in a second. But I want to once again I'm, I'm segueing for a second. Um, we talk about how today prayers instead of sacrifices. So we know that we have we there are three daily prayers set there. Uh, said every day. You have Shachris, Mincha, and Arvit. You have the morning, the afternoon, and the evening prayer. The first two, Shachrit and Mincha, are um, corresponding to the Korban Tamid, the daily sacrifice that was offered on behalf of all the Jewish people twice a day, once in the morning. When they say morning, they mean really early, like uh, daybreak, not like, you know, noontime when we're starting to like get our day started. Um, so there, there's one early in the morning and there's one later on in the afternoon. Um, and so Shachras and Mincha correspond to those. And Mayriv Arvit corresponds to the fact that, that sacrifices could continue to be burned throughout the night. Now in general, sacrifices are very time sensitive. They have, we have the holy, we have the holy holy, we have Kutche Kalim, Kutche Kutche, we have different kinds, status. What's the plural of status? Statuses, I don't know. Sacri- sacrifices have different statuses. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds weird. I don't know. Yeah. So in general, in general, say, ladies, in general, most sacrifices you could eat, whether you could eat for a day and a night, some you could eat for two days and a night, some you could only eat in the temple grounds, some you could only eat in Jerusalem. So sacrifices are also very um, spatial and time sensitive. So the especially times where there were a lot of sacrifices being offered on a daily basis. Like I, I can't imagine what a regular Monday afternoon in the temple looked like, but over holiday season, over Pesach, over Sukkot, when people were coming to be El Lorego, there were lots and lots and lots. There were always sacrifices going on, but the, the overflow, they could continue to add and burn sacrif- sacrificial meat all night long. So that's why uh, our vit is, is corresponding to that to that, but because it, it doesn't actually match a specific sacrifice, it, it, it corresponds to the time of sacrifices being burned. Um, therefore, let's say, for example, in Rosh Chodesh, you're supposed to add uh, Yalav Yavi, you're supposed to add pardon to the Amida. If you forget it by by Mayriv, by Arvit, you don't repeat. But for Shach or Shemitha, you would repeat. So there are slight differences within prayer because of the status of what they're matching up. Um, so that's Stam a side point about prayer and about sacrifices. Um, okay, and now and now we're talking. Why did they put? So first of all, they put salt because that's what Shem said. That's the first answer. The first answer is because and because exactly, exactly. So now the question is why salt and why not honey or sweetener? Why not? Why not a sweetener? Why not? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the morning, yeah, in the morning of the sacrifice, we talked about the sacrifice. In the morning, it talks about you're not allowed to put a yeast, a leavening agent, or honey on the thing. It, it totally invalidates the sacrifice and salt, you can't leave it out. And, and when we talk about sacrifice, take it out of the animals for a second and talk about our lives for a second. You know, I feel like sometimes in a Western culture, sacrifice has a dirty word that I will do something altruistic for another person where I'm not going to get anything ba back. That's sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't me selling you something because then you're giving me money. It's not you know, we each take turns inviting each other for dinner. Sacrifice is when I do something for another person without expectation of payment. And there is this place, I think, I, I like to blame it all on the Western, on Western culture that it's like a very, has negative connotations. But in Torah, the place of sacrifice is a very, very, very important, uh, I think in Judaism of doing something for another person is a very special thing to do. And we're told two things. Sugar and leaven, no, salt, yes. What's the difference? Sugar and leaven is my experience of the experience. What do I get out of it? Salt, what does the other person get out of it? Because we know what is the property of salt. It brings out in the other. It brings out in the other, in the meat, in the thing. You know, how many people here have ever eaten watermelon with salt? Not me personally, but it's a thing. It's a thing. In Israel, they sell watermelon with Bulgarian cheese. That's the same idea. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. Salt brings out the best in the other. Now, obviously, if you put on too much salt, then it's inedible, and that's all different conversation. But when we talk about sacrifice, when we talk about doing for somebody else, am I doing it in a, in a way that leaves them indebted to me? That's sugar, that's lemon. If I'm doing it that I'm getting caught up and haughty about the person. I'm not resolved to it. What I need to do for the other person to help them actualize themselves. What do I need to do to help them be the best version of themselves? So you're right, Rifka Shear. What's the question of salt? The question is in our relationships with each other, with the people we care about, with the people that we don't know so well. Am I doing the things that make me feel good? Or am I doing the things that the other person needs? So I want to give us a bracha is our last class before Pesach. We're going into, we're going into our holiday of redemption. First of all, we should all be able to be in a place of redemption, to be able to be in a healthy, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mental place, to be able to be open to redemption and to understand that sometimes our place of redemption is what we do for another person. And that when we do for another person, when we reach out to another person, it should be adding salt into their, not into their wounds, to be adding salt into their lives, to bring out their flavor, to bring out the best in them, to be able to bring out in them everything that they're capable of doing it. And when we, when we have the ability to do that for another person, that is really, truly redemptive. Have an awesome rest of the day. Have a great week and have a Chag Sameach. Have an amazing, liberating and liberated kind of Pesach. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Wow.